news over the weekend. No, not recruiting. Uh, no, we didn't lose another coach. Uh, this is from a transfer player who got injured. We'll talk about that coming up here in hour number two. We will also get into some more Wildcat football as we will take a look ahead at maybe what the depth chart will look like outside of the quarterback position, who you're going to the, – the, the, the more common names you're going to be heard called on the television broadcast or the radio broadcast, uh, the, you know, if you choose to listen to that, um, on September 4th in the game against BYU in Las Vegas. I am trying to get out to Las Vegas. I'm doing my best to get there for some weird reason. The uh, the venue in Vegas, because they're having to deal with so much new stuff right now, they're a little slow in returning people's emails <laughs> regarding credentials. So, yeah, trying to get information back from them. Hopefully have more information today because I would love to go out to Vegas to, uh, to cover the game for you guys. So keep an eye on that. If you were, we, we do this all the time. Radio stations do this all the time. Radio hosts like me, local yokels, and all this other stuff. We we do this all the time. We, if you could, if you could construct the ultimate quarterback with what's given in the NFL today, how would you do that? Okay, what what would you? Which quarterback pieces would you put together to make your ultimate quarterback? And there's a lot of things that go into it, right? There's arm strength there's accuracy there's uh there's mechanics right there's vision there's just overall decision making and intelligence leadership toughness okay there's all, you know, all these things uh, the 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 will to compete the will to win pocket presence is another one one of the big ones some of you may put you know certain things like uh athletic ability and scrambling ability to be able to or design even designed run ability to be one of your major factors in how you build your quarterback. Working outside of the framework of the offense, off-schedule plays, right? Who's, you know, who, who's the best at that? Or how would, you, how would you rate these quarterbacks in the NFL? Or how would you put together? Because it, it's, all, it's really all about personal preference, right? What, you know, what kind of quarterback do you build? And I've been on record here many times that in the NFL, it's about pocket presence, Staying in the pocket, staying in the framework of the offense, uh, delivering the football down the field, being accurate with your passes, uh, the ability to scramble, kind of, kind of like the way Ben Roethlisberger has played his entire life, right? He's not a he's not a scrambling quarterback. He's a big statuesque guy, six five, stands in the stands in the pocket. But when you watch, I, and I'm sure that you're familiar with this, I, I can't be the only one who notices this. In fact, I know that I'm not. Because we have a lot of smart people out there watching football with their eyeballs on the on the game that have learned a lot about the game over the years. It's the the resources available to us are so incredible right now in learning about the game of football, nuances of the game. When you watch Ben Roethlisberger play in in his prime, okay, nowadays it's not so much. In his prime, he was impossible to sack. Like you you couldn't sack him, but it wasn't because he was running around like a chicken with his head cut off. It's not because he was the fastest guy in the field. It's not because he was the quickest guy in the field. He had these amazingly quick feet and could boot out and run away from people. He wasn't that guy. You know what made Ben Roethlisberger great? Is because he could make little subtle movements inside the pocket and just barely miss. And he's a big guy. He's 200, you know, 240 pounds. Big dude. Hard to bring down. Can't bring him down with just one arm. No shoelace tackles here, right? So when you watched him play, and you think you got him. You're like, they got him, they got him. And he's like, nope, they don't, they don't got him. He's still standing in the pocket. Somehow, some way, he was able to shirk off two tacklers 
and then deliver the ball down the field. Like, that's the kind of quarterback, and I'm not saying that Ben Roethlisberger is a perfect quarterback. I'm just saying for my particular taste, I want a guy like Ben Roethlisberger. Now, you can obviously, if you're trying to put pieces together and what you find important, you want to talk about arm strength, you got Josh Allen, you got Patrick Mahomes, right? You got those those guys right up there at the top. Aaron Rodgers is there. Um, you know, Russell Wilson doesn't have the best arm strength, but I think he throws the best deep ball. I think accuracy down the field. You're talking about a guy who has probably the best deep ball in the game right now. He's a lot like Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner was the most accurate deep ball passer I've ever seen in my entire life, ever. Period. End of story. A lot of people would agree with me on that. Professionals, quarterback coaches, GMs, head coaches, they would agree with me on that. Best deep ball passer I've ever seen in my entire life. Right now, that guy is Russell Wilson. He doesn't have the strongest arm. Neither did Kurt Warner. But if you need a ball dropped in in a tiny little spot on a route that's going to take a little bit of time to develop, but you need to put it in a spot that your quarter, that your receiver can go run underneath it to where it's not going to get in the way of the safety that's back there, you need to put it exactly one particular spot 50 yards down the field, Russell Wilson's your dude for that. Kurt Warner was your dude for that. Patrick Mahomes can throw the ball 70 yards down the field. Josh Allen can throw the ball 70, 75 yards. We've seen it doesn't happen all that often in a game where you get a ball thrown that deep, you know, and can actually connect. Hail Marys, it helps. I'll never forget, and, and this is one of the things that I remember thinking to myself, you know, this is a long time ago because the Cardinals were still playing at Sun Devil Stadium back in the day. And I was at the game, and they're playing the, the Seahawks. No, was it the Seahawks? No, there's the Giants. I'm sorry, the Giants that day. And the quarterback, or maybe it was the Seahawks. I don't remember. Matt Hasselbeck was the quarterback. <laughs> I don't remember. I went to a lot of games, seen a lot of games. Maybe it was the Seahawks. So Matt Hasselbeck's the quarterback that day. There was a light breeze at Sun Devil Stadium that day. It wasn't terrible. It was it was a light breeze. The, the, the it was getting to halftime. Seahawks got the ball, and they need to get the ball. They're going to throw a hail mary into the end zone. It was the last play of the, of the half. Try to throw the ball in the end zone. All Matt Hasselbeck had to do was throw the ball. 50 yards to get it anywhere near the goal line. You just had to get put it up 50 yards. You would think that every NFL quarterback would be able to do that. Matt Hasselbeck's ball landed around the 12-yard line. 38 yards from the line of scrimmage. 38. And I thought to myself, my God, there are quarterbacks playing in this league that can't throw a football 40 yards downfield. How is that how is that possible? And Matt Hasselbeck had a you know he had a, he had a very good career in the NFL. He's, he was very successful. But in that moment, with no stiff breeze in his face, and he didn't get hit on the play, he was he was a clean pocket. Threw the ball thirty eight yards. So you know I mean like what do you do? Do you bring in a, a backup quarterback just to throw a hail mary? I've seen it before. But again, arm strength is very very important. So if you're if you're building your quarterback on arm strength, you want a guy, and, and here's and this is what I'm getting to. Here's the delineation between that. Do you want a guy who can throw the ball 75 yards or a guy who can th- only throw the ball 55 yards but be deadly accurate with that 55-yard ball? I'll take Russell Wilson. Because how often do you need to throw the ball 70 yards down the field? And I get it. There are, there are plays in the NFL, in the, you know, in, in any, every, any offense for that matter, where you need to throw the ball what they call against the grain, right? Your, your left hash, you need to throw the ball to the right sideline. You need to drill that ball. Even though it's only eight yards beyond the line of scrimmage, 
you throw that ball 25 to 28 yards, depending on where you end up, and that ball needs to be on a laser line to that spot. That's where that's where your your you know your John Elway type arm strength. Just be able to rifle a ball in there and put as much zip on it as possible. Okay, well, Russ Wilson can do that. A lot of quarterbacks can do that. Matt Stafford has gotten really good at that type of throw. And then, of course, your elite arm talent guys, Mahomes, Rodgers, Josh Allen, they can all do that as well. So what's next? Like, what's, what's next on the book? I want, a guy who's, I want a guy who's tough. Coaches talk about toughness all the time. We need, we need a tough guy. We need a tough guy at quarterback. I want a guy that's going to stand in there and be tough and not miss games. Because what do they say? <laughs> the best ability is availability. And I know people are rolling their eyes right now. They're like, oh, my God, Jeff's doing talk, coach speak again. The best ability is availability. Who's the tough guy? Who's the tough guy in the, in, in the NFL as far as quarterbacks go? Okay, I'm trying to think. Like, you put Josh Allen there. He's a pretty tough dude. But when you think about it, like, who's taking as many hits – in his time in the NFL and still keeps on ticking is Russell Wilson. Like, I mean, really, you can you can look back and you, if you think about it, you're like, yeah, I mean, he's always running. He's, you know, he's constantly scrambling. The Seahawks, much like the Arizona Cardinals, have never been able to figure out their offensive line. They're always constantly going on the cheap, right? It's, it's been well documented, going on the cheap when it comes to offensive line. And because they have a guy like Russell Wilson back there, they can afford to go cheap on the offensive line because he will get you out of trouble. How many games has he missed? Like how, many, how many snaps has Russell Wilson missed because he was hurt? How many times has Russell Wilson been seen on the sidelines shaking his hand, his arm, whatever, his leg, and goes right back out there and tries to win the football game? He's a tough guy. Like he's got that, he's got that toughness. Okay, pocket presence. Who's got the best pocket presence in the NFL? I think most people would say that Tom Brady, probably the best pocket quarterback in the NFL. I think you're wrong. I don't think he's the best pocket quarterback in the NFL. He's obviously very good. He's won a ton of games from the pocket. When I watch Tom Brady play, I see a lot of happy feet. I see Tom Brady still thinking about that knee injury that he took 13 years ago. I think he still feels he still feels the pressure from that. You can tell. Guys get around his feet. He starts getting real, real real perturbed, right? He starts getting real antsy in the face of the officials. you got to keep these guys off me, yada, yada, yada. I still think Aaron Rodgers is the best pocket quarterback in the NFL, even though he is great at scrambling. But I think he's the best pocket quarterback in the NFL. Who's next? Russell Wilson? Yeah, I think so. Now, this is not just like some big love affair that I'm having with Russell Wilson. Trust me, I would like nothing more than for him to be playing in the AFC somewhere because I hate having him in the NFC West. I hate that that he was drafted one spot before Colin Kaepernick was with the 49ers. Jim Harbaugh was going to take Russell Wilson with his pick. I hate that I watched Russell Wilson at NC State as a freshman lead the Wolfpack to a come-from-behind victory at home against Florida State, a, a very good Florida State team. And I immediately said, that's a guy you need to watch out for. Like, you need to watch that guy. And that nobody in the world knew about Russell Wilson until he burst onto the scene with a 10 and 0 uh, Wisconsin team that year when they were 10 and 0 and they were they were going up against Ohio State. Nobody nobody knew who he was. I'm just like, I've been watching this guy for 3 years. He's great. 
And I knew as soon as he got drafted by the Seahawks, I'm like, who's there? Matt Flynn? Yeah, he's he, Matt Flynn ain't going to win that job. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. But here's the crazy thing about Russell Wilson. Nobody would sit there and look at the Seattle Seahawks offense and go, man, that's a, that's a dominant offense in the NFL. They just, they just score tons of points. You can't keep them off the scoreboard. They're not. They're, 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 they're not that way. Why is that? Okay, well, many people point to the offensive line. That's an issue. Uh, I think for, for a lot of time that Russ has been in Seattle, they've had some inefficiencies at wide receiver. They've tried some different tight ends. Some guys have had some big games and, and a couple of big seasons, but haven't really been solid at the tight end position. They've had smallish guys playing wide receiver for them, guys that get you know, oft injured guys. But you look at this team right now, the way they're the way they're made up, is there a better quarterback and two wide receiver combo in the NFL than what they got in Seattle? Things are going to get tough this year in the NFC West. There are four extremely talented teams. And if you don't come out swinging with the preparation to play tough-nosed, tough-minded football, hard-nosed football, if you don't win the trenches, you're going to get left in the dust. There are teams out there competing in the trenches right now. The Los Angeles Rams, obviously, they're going to be very good in the trenches. They always are. The 49ers, going to be excellent in the trenches. They have the best left tackle in football. And if they're healthy on the defensive line, they're going to be trouble. We just talked about two teams that have consistently had issues at offensive line. The Arizona Cardinals, the Seattle Seahawks. In one instance, though, you have a future Hall of Fame quarterback in Russell Wilson. In Arizona, you have a, an experimental head coach who has a lifetime losing record as a head coach and a, an experimental QB a quarterback with gobs and gobs of talent and athletic ability and God-given ability to be a great athlete that may have actually chosen the wrong profession to get into. You know, people talk about how good of a a baseball player Kyler Murray was or is. Uh, Maybe he did get into the wrong profession. You look at what the Cardinals did on offense the other night, Friday night against the Chiefs, man, the offense just looked bad. It, I mean, it looked flat bad. And this was their last audition before week one of the regular season. They're not going to play next week. They're going to find out who the final guys are that they have to cut to get that roster down to 53 before week one begins, which is happening in two weeks. So, <laughs> yeah. Look, the the one thing that is that is the most unpredictable thing in the in the NFL to do every year is to find the one team that's going to go from worst to first, and the team's going to go from first to worst. It happens every year, every every year. There's a team that does it. The NFC East is you know constantly having a revolving door at, at uh, teams who win that division, and there's always going to be in in either conference a worst to first and a first to worst. Now the Cardinals were neither; they were not. They were neither first in the division last year, nor were they worse in the division. I just don't, I don't see it. I don't see it coming together. And a lot of people who think that Cliff Kingsbury is going to be the first head coach to be fired, I disagree. I don't think that's going to happen either. Because if Steve Kime, the general manager of the Arizona Cardinals, if he comes to, 
you know, the, the, the realization that he needs to fire Cliff Kingsbury, I believe that he's admitting that he's out as well. Because a lot of people in the or, you know, up, up in Phoenix and a lot of people in the NFL and a lot of people in the organization feel that Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime are tied at the hip. They're attached to the same wagon. One goes, they both go. So there may not be as quick a hook on that starting head, that, the head coach as, as some people may think, as badly as they looked on Friday night. I don't know if the hook is going to be that quick. How long can the Cardinals last in this particular predicament that they're in? You know, I mean, they've made bad decision after bad decision at the quarterback position. They haven't been able to put an offensive line worth a damn out there probably in forever. At least it's been a long time. They may have caught lightning in a bottle one or two years, the Super Bowl years and such. But other than that, it's been awful. Be interesting to see. Again, the season kicks off in just a couple of weeks, and uh, I'm super excited about it. I'm just super excited to be talking like actual football. Like we can actually see ones versus ones, live bullets, games matter, records matter. This is all just (laughs) kind of just leading up to What's what's to come? The unknown. Don't miss NFL Cover 2 every weekday right here on ESPN Tucson. It's brought to you by Barrio Brewing Company. Barrio Brewing Company, Arizona's oldest brewery, celebrating 30 years of brewing for Arizona. When we return, to talk some Arizona basketball as the Wildcats got some unfortunate news over the weekend and made a new coaching hire as well. That's right here next on the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here, hour number two, today's edition. Here from 7 to 9 every single weekday, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Talking Arizona Wildcats basketball as they receive some unfortunate news over the weekend as it was reported that Arizona sophomore guard transfer from Utah, Pella Larson, was going to be questionable for the start of the season with a broken foot. Uh, The U of A spokesman uh, confirmed on Saturday night that Larson had broken his foot um, probably just from an accumulation of events over time of him playing on it, and he tried out for the Swedish national team this year. Uh, He just had a little extra time on it, and it sounds like probably like a stress fracture of some sort that uh, that may have occurred there. Of course, as I mentioned, he, he tried out for the uh, for the World Cup uh, with his home country of Sweden. Now, he did play in uh, in, a, in a bunch of games last year from Utah. He started 18 games, played in 25 games for Utah. Is a good shooter. I really liked the addition of Pella Larson here um, on this particular uh, you know on this particular staff of the you know the, the team that they got here. Now, if you're wondering when it is that he'll be back, okay the the broken foot, they didn't give a timeline, okay? Broken, broken feet, uh, a broken foot can be six weeks. It can be eight weeks. It can be ten weeks. It can be 14 weeks, okay? It can be anywhere in there. Broken bones are – I would rather hear about him breaking a bone than having a, a strained or a torn ligament or tendon damage or something like that because that kind of stuff, like connective tissue stuff, is just always nagging. Bones break, they heal, you're back to normal. Like it's it, it's it's you know the best kind of injury, if you will, to have that sidelines a player. You don't ever want to have injuries, but I would rather have be a, be a broken foot than 
uh, high ankle sprain or something like that. That would keep him out for a big chunk of the season, and you never know if he gets cleared to play and how quickly it re-aggravates. Now, if you go back in time, if you can remember, it was 2017. The team was getting ready for the Red-Blue game. Red-Blue game was just a couple weeks away, and we had gotten notification that Raleigh, Raleigh Hawkins had broken his foot. I remember being there for the rehearsals and stuff of the Red-Blue game, and Raleigh was on the scooter, uh, like, a, like a motorized like electric scooter that he was riding around on, and that's how we brought him onto the floor. Uh, when we announced him that night, he came through the tunnel on the, on the scooter and everything because he, he, you know, he had broken his foot. Now, it took Raleigh quite some time to get back. He's a different type of player. He's a, a bigger player, a, you know, a player that explodes off the floor, uses his above-the-rim game to, you know, to get his point across. That's, that, was the, that was his style of play. It took him all the way until December when he played. Then he only played a few games into, like, into conference play and then had to sit. Um, I remember him, he, was, he wasn't playing during the, gosh, I want to say it was the Oregon trip, I think, that year. I think he sat out that trip. Um, but, again, this is, this is a different player, a different type of game. I don't want to sit here and try to predict, you know, when Pella Larson is going to return. If they say six to 12 weeks in for the, the style of player that he is, as long as he's a, he's a you know, is a good, you know, an average to good healer and is able to get clearance from the doctors and get back on the floor, we could see him before the, before the Wildcats take off for, for Knoxville in late December. You know, we could see him even before that potentially, but Again, broken foot, not something you want to hear, especially from a transfer player like that and a guy who's going to be able to help that backcourt. But, again, a broken bone isn't as bad as some kind of ligament damage or tendon damage, connective tissue damage, which would be even worse. More news as head coach Tommy Lloyd made another assistant hiring over the weekend. According to Jeff Goodman, good friend of mine, and uh, we'll be bringing him on the show. He's a friend of the program. He's going to be on the show during college basketball season. We always have Jeff on to, uh, to talk college basketball. The Arizona Wildcats and Tommy Lloyd have hired Ricardo Foy as an assistant coach. He Now, Ricky, as uh, he's affectionately known, spent the last couple of seasons here in Phoenix with the Suns. He was the player development coach uh, in, the, in the player development department for, uh, for the Phoenix Suns. He worked with Mark Few and Tommy Lloyd at Gonzaga the previous five years. So um, Tommy's very familiar with him. Tommy Lloyd is very familiar with Ricardo Foix. He's young. He's 34 years old. And he was the director of analytics at Gonzaga. So he was essentially the guy that was breaking down film and, and analyzing certain things and trends and traits and uh, of not only the Gonzaga players but the opposing players as well. So – He's, you know, he's kind of a, he's kind of a film junkie. He, he, you know, he really kind of loves to break down the film and, you know, a guy that you can trust in an important role in the, you know, in, on the coaching staff as well. So, and, and, and he's also obviously, uh, if you didn't recognize by the name, obviously this is the melting pot of, of, of America. We can have all kinds of last names. He's from Italy, played for Italy, and he's very familiar with the recruiting uh, you know, the recruiting trail in Europe. So this gives Tommy Lloyd just another outlet into European recruiting. And, again, I, I think 
with the influx of European players that we've seen, not only at the collegiate level, but how well they're performing at the NBA level. Let's just take a look. I mean, the league MVP was is a is a European player. The finals MVP, European player, right? It, it, they're they're here to stay, and there's the the Naismith Hall of Fame is going to start to get filled with European players' names. And if Arizona wants to be at the forefront of international recruiting, much like Gonzaga has been for several years now, then I'm all for it. And uh, you know, I I I, I commend. Tommy Lloyd on uh, on his commitment to going out there, branching out internationally. We've got players from on this particular squad from eight different countries. I dig it. Uh, I'm I'm all I'm I'm here for it. I'm I'm excited. Looking forward to, to basketball season. The Red Blue game October second. By the way, if you haven't gotten your tickets, good luck. I think it's probably sold out by now. I'm guessing. Um, but look, it's good, and they still have one more spot to fill, right? Because Jason Terry left. As we, we talked last week, Jason Terry left for the uh, Grand Rapids Gold, and he's going to be the head coach of the, the Nuggets G League team. So still one more, head, uh, one more assistant coaching spot to fill for Coach Tommy Lloyd. You know, not, obviously not optimal. It's not something he wanted to be doing is rounding out his assistant coaches into late August and early September. But this is where we're at. And in the world of, of college basketball and in basketball, it's not always as, as I don't want to say, important is not the word. You don't need to have your staff in play when, you know, camp opens up. Tommy Lloyd's the head coach. He's got his, his trusted assistants that he has there with him. Having one more assistant coach is going to be someone who fills a very specific role for Tommy Lloyd in this particular staff. So we'll keep an eye on that. And, of course, if any announcements happen, we'll keep you updated. If something happens live during the shows this week, we will certainly let you know. You're listening right here to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. The Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC engaging in high-level discussions about an alliance. We talked about this on Friday, right? On Friday, discussed that there was... There were several sources out there saying that there was going to be an official announcement as early as this week, this being this week, about a new alliance being formed between the Pac-12 and Commissioner George Klyovkov, the Big Ten with their Commissioner Kevin Warren, and the ACC and their Commissioner Jim Phillips. They have been in conversation for several weeks now. In fact, Klyovkov said that, quote, I've been in frequent and regular contract contact with all of the other A5 commissioners the last few weeks about the complex issues that are facing the industry. End quote. Um, again, there are sources out there saying that something could happen this week. There could be an announcement this week. What does that look like? What, what is the goal of these three commissioners, and what could that potentially look like? Well, the goal is to create a product that will rival the SEC in competition with the networks for television dollars. That's that's going to be the number one goal. They have to do that. They they have to figure out a way to keep a relevant product in comparison to the SEC. Because when you go to the table with these networks, with CBS, NBC, Fox, whomever, and 
they say, why should we choose you over the SEC? The SEC has all this and this and this and this. Why should we choose you? You had better come to the table with something better than we have more teams than they do. <laughs> okay? There, there's got to be something better. There has to be a better plan of attack. There has to be ambitious future plans for this alliance. And I will tell you the other thing that if just me personally, and maybe this is a, a selfish vendetta, but I think it's something that could definitely play out. Those three commissioners, Jim Phillips of the ACC, George Klyavkov of the Pac-12, and Kevin Warren of the Big Ten, were all left out of conversations that the SEC and the Big 12 were having amongst a couple of other constituents in regards to expanding the college football playoff from four teams to 12. They were completely left out of the conversation. Nobody even included them. And then basically it got announced as official news back in June when uh, when Greg Sankey, SEC commissioner, basically said, yep, we're going to expand to 12, to 12 games or to 12 teams. The other three commissioners, George Golovkov wasn't even a commissioner at the time. He was the commissioner in waiting, right? Larry Scott was still in the chair in San Francisco. They're, they're, like, they're like, hey, wait a second. Nobody, nobody talked to us. Nobody, nobody consulted us about this. So what do those three do when they form an alliance? Well, the first thing they do is make sure that they get in on the vote for the college football playoff and vote that thing down. Because at this point, you just have to assume that anything the SEC is going to implement is going to serve themselves and themselves only. They are not in it for the greatness of college football. They are in it to make more money. Greg Sankey made that perfectly clear when he was asked about the NCAA's role in the new mega conference that is the SEC. And he said, quote, our identity stands alone. Stands alone. The key words there. So this new alliance, okay, as I named it, the American Athletic Alliance, the AAA. Don't know if it'll stick. I like it. Just something I came up with in the seconds before going on the air on Friday when we had found out that this was actually happening. Their goal is, their, their, their job is going to be convincing television networks, network executives to buy their product instead of the SEC, or at least give them equal dollars to the SEC. And thankfully, <laughs> and, and I will say this, as a, as a proud Pac-12 supporter, someone who has lived out west under the Pac-10 and the Pac-12 for the, his entire life, they are doing the Pac-12 a favor. The a- ACC and the Big Ten are doing the Pac-12 a favor by bringing them along, inviting them to the party. They don't have to have the, big, the Pac-12. We spoke about it last week, about the, 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 uh, the four million factor, right? How many eyeballs are on a football game over the, last, over the last five years? How many football games had four million eyeballs on it? And only five of the, what was it, 98 games during that time? Only five of the 98 games during that time were Pac-12 games. That's embarrassing. So the Pac-12 had better just kind of go along with it and say, yes, we would like to be a part of this. We will do whatever it takes to be part of this. Aside from breaking up the conference, obviously. You don't want to do that. Hopefully, George Klyovkov has enough sense to, to not let that happen. Don't let the Pac-12 be poached by these other conferences. And say, we only want Oregon, Washington, and USC, and UCLA. And the other, the other eight can figure out what they're going to do. Yeah, that, that would be very, very bad. 
Very bad. So what does it look like? What is this new alliance? Again, I don't know. I don't know if it's just a scheduling alliance, if they're going to shut out the SEC, basically saying we're only going to schedule Power 5 games within our alliance so that, you know, USC can play Ohio State or they can play Virginia Tech or they can play Clemson or Florida State or Miami or whatever, but they can't play Alabama, they can't play LSU unless they see them in a bowl game. Are they just going to completely shut out the SEC altogether and say we're going to do it on our own and we're going to let our member schools schedule their games with the 114 teams that remain or 113 outside of themselves and the 16 SEC teams, the 113 teams that remain at the Division One level or the FBS level of college football. I don't think it's outside the realm of possible. If if these three gentlemen, these three commissioners, are as upset with the SEC as Bob Bowlesby is, the current standing commissioner of the Big 12 or what's left of it, then there's a possibility that they could be like, yeah, no, we're not going to deal with you. Because the SEC would be getting the lion's share of the dollars, the television dollars anyways. So what difference would it make? It'll be interesting to see what happens, and if the announcement comes out, what exactly comes out? What exactly are, are they just going to officially announce? Yes, we've offered into or we've entered into an agreement to schedule one another for the next five years, and we'll have more information in three months. Or is it going to be something like, here it is, here's the new format, <laughs> this is the way college football is going to look moving forward? And look, I've said this a ton of times. College football has to decide whether they, were, they are in the business of crowning a national champion or if they're in the business of entertainment and entertainment dollars. Once they, once they decide, once they get off the fence and decide what it is that they're going to do and why, why it is that they're in the business of playing football, then we can move forward. But we ought to be on the same page. We ought to be tugging the rope in the same direction, as they say, right? Are we, going to, are we in the business of crowning a national champion? Or are we in the business of entertaining people and making it as, as lucrative as possible for our member institutions? Can't have both. The NFL's proven you can't have both. The NFL has to make that same decision real soon. Collective bargaining agreement coming up in a couple years will probably help make that decision for them. So we'll see. I, I'm, listen, I'm excited. I'm worried. I'm concerned. Because I do love college football. I've always loved college football. It's always been number one. Always. Grew up watching U of A football before we had pro football, listening to it on the radio. It's been my thing for my entire life. I've, I've only had season tickets. I had season tickets to the Arizona Rattlers once, like my senior year of high school. It's like my senior gift to myself. I bought season tickets to the Arizona Rattlers. It was fun. I never bought them again. This year will mark my 16th consecutive year. Or I took last year off, obviously. 16th year of having season tickets for Arizona football. I just, I love the game. I love the sport. I love everything that goes with it. They, the pomp and circumstance and pageantry of, you know, the history and tradition and, uh, of college football. Sound like, you know, <laughs> sound like, you know, one of the old guys talking about, college football the way it used to be in the grand old days but really you know keith jackson right that's that's what we've come to love about college football because it's different than the nfl 
I don't want to see NFL light. And I know a lot of people who also don't want to see NFL light. They don't want to see an NFL farm system, which is basically what the SEC is doing. It's going to be NFL light, 15 teams plus Vanderbilt. <laughs> basically what it's going to be. I don't know what they're going to do about Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is there, and I know the jokes are always there. You hear it all the time. Vanderbilt's in the SEC so that their GPA stays above 2.6. That's why Vandy's there. I get it. So they're one institution of higher learning. So I don't want to see NFL light. I don't want to see farm system NFL. Okay, let's let's try to – I want to keep it as much as separate as possible. Not that my wants and wishes matter because it's the almighty dollar that this is what they're going to go after. Can they do it while preserving the sanctity of college football? That's the key. That's the, the key term, the key phrase here. Arizona's about to get even hotter, ladies and gentlemen. FanDuel Daily Fantasy Sports and FanDuel Sportsbook is coming soon. September 9th is when everything goes live here in the state of Arizona, and you're going to be able to get your sports betting on, and FanDuel's Daily Fantasy Contests are a perfect way to do it. You can start this Saturday, August 28th. They're super easy to enter. They're 100% secure, and they're a ton of fun. You can go head-to-head against thousands of fans across the country of every major U.S. sport and get a shot at some real cash prizes. The, there's there's people already all across the country enjoying these services. They've already uh, put you know put up their profile on FanDuel. I can't wait to get mine started because look, this is exciting new stuff. This is all brand new excitement in the world of sports entertainment, and FanDuel is bringing it to you. They're no, America's number one sports book, number one. It's coming soon here to the state of Arizona to Tucson with betting lines, promotions for new and existing customers, fast payouts and a safe, secure, easy-to-use app right on your phone. Super simple. I've downloaded the app. It's really easy to use. Trust me. And if you want more information, you can always go to FanDuel.com slash Arizona today to learn more. That's FanDuel.com slash Arizona. Agent location restrictions will apply. Void where prohibited. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable site credit that expires seven days after the receipt. See FanDuel.com for terms and conditions. It's FanDuel.com slash Arizona to learn more as FanDuel Fantasy Sports and FanDuel Sportsbooks coming soon. You're listening to the Jeff Dean Show. We'll come right back after this and put a big, bright, red, shiny bow on today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show here on ESPN Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back. Final segment of today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Talk a little baseball. Don't get a chance to talk enough baseball here as we're getting close to the end of the season, final few weeks now, uh, as teams are you know, about 35 or so games away from the uh, from the finish line. The Baltimore Orioles about to set a dubious record as they just lost their 18th game in a row last night. It looks like they're the ones, you know, fixated on the prize of that number one draft pick. The, the Diamondbacks, look, Diamondbacks have won seven out of their last ten, and the Orioles have lost 18 in a row. If you're, you know, if you're committed to that number one pick, you can't go out there and win seven of your last ten while the other team's just going to tank and lose. They've lost all 18 of those games by more than two runs. How do you do that? Well, I, I mean, I know you do that, but how can you look at yourself in the mirror and, and do that. They like 18 in a row, and they haven't been close. Not even close. Speaking of teams in the tank right now, 
It has become a two-team race in the NL West. The San Diego Padres are in a funk. Uh, they got Fernando Tatis Jr. back, and basically since then they've done nothing but lose games. They're two, two, uh, they've won two games in their last ten. Uh, they've, the previous that they had only won one in their last seven. So things not going well for the Padres. They currently sit 13 games out of first place. The Giants just continue to win baseball games. They've got 80 wins on the season now, which is, I think, what, four more than anybody else? The Brewers have 76. Brewers are really good, by the way. This is a really good baseball team, uh, at least in the National League. Yeah. So the Giants looking to continue, but the, the Dodgers are right on their heels. Dodgers have won nine of their last ten. They had won eight in a row previous to uh, to losing. So, you know, the NL West is uh, starting to pull away from the rest of the pack. So we'll keep an eye on that. Um, looking at other division leaders, the Brewers have a seven-and-a-half game lead over the Cincinnati Reds. Obviously not over yet. The Reds are still a very good team. See what happens there. The only team above 500, other team in that division above 500 is the Cardinals. They're 12 games back. In the National League East, the the Braves are starting to kind of pull away. They've won nine games in a row. as They're red hot right now. Uh, the Phillies and the Mets continue to fall back, call, fall further back. Mets are just a disaster right now. Uh, the Phillies are five games back in second place. Mets are seven games back in third. And over in the American League, Starting in the American League East, Tampa Bay Rays, best team in the American League, 77 wins on the season. Uh, they've, they're holding off the surging Yankees right now, who have also won nine games in a row. Yankees are only four and a half back. The Red Sox in third place, seven back. And the Blue Jays, 11 and a half back. So still a good race there with the top four teams in the AL East. AL Central, I think, is all but over. The Chicago White Sox, far and away the best team in that division. Uh, the Twins, the Royals, and the Tigers are all pretty bad. The Cleveland Indians are the only team in that division putting up a fight. They're barely hanging on to 500. They kind of waffle over and above and below 500 as they go through. Of course, Terry Francona, not the manager there right now, as he's uh, he, you know he's getting healthier from his hip surgery, his hip replacement surgery, so he won't be back. Uh, I think that that division is all but over. And in the West, AL West, look, Oakland and Seattle. Still pushing the Astros right now, who I think, in my opinion, is the best team in the American League, but it remains to be seen. And, of course, the Angels continue to be must-see baseball with Shohei Otani and as good as he is. I just, my God, the things that he's doing. And it, Look, when you put him, what he's doing, into perspective with things that have been done in the past, people want to you know sit here and compare him to Babe Ruth. I get it. He's a pitcher that can hit home runs. There's no comparison, ladies and gentlemen, okay? Babe Ruth was hitting home runs and pitching against guys who were using baseball as their second job. Baseball players weren't making squat for money. Babe Ruth was far and away the most highest-paid player in Major League Baseball at the time. He's being paid more than the president. Remember, there's that, there's that famous quote. You know, he signed the contract that made him the highest-paid highest athlete in the history of sports, and he was being paid more than the president. They said, how do you, how do you respond to – being paid more than the president at this point in time. He goes, well, I had a better year than he did. <laughs> it's one of, the, one of the great sports quotes of all time. Shohei Otani is hitting bombs off of pitchers who are specialized, coming in to get him out, left-handers to throw 98-mile-an-hour gas. The average fastball in Major League Baseball this year is 95.4 miles per hour. Ten years ago, it wasn't even 92 miles an hour. 
and I can guarantee you in 1926 they weren't throwing gas above 90 miles an hour. Not with the, 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 you know, the types of players that they were seeing. Guys would work the railroads during the night, play baseball during the day. That's just kind of the way it happened. What Shohei Otani does cannot be compared to what Babe Ruth is, did because there is no comparison. The, the, the contrast in play is so vastly different that we need to keep those two separate. And what he's doing is absolutely special. That's going to wrap things up for today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Thanks to Larry Mack behind the glass. Pushing all the right buttons today. Mary's out uh, sick. Hope she feels better. Hopefully back be, uh, be back tomorrow. Keeping us on the air. We had to put up with uh, the newbie today. Had to kind of coach him through everything. Stay tuned. Spears and Ali, 3 6 p.m. today. And we'll see you guys again tomorrow morning right here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Thanks for listening to the Jeff Dean Show. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Jeff will be back tomorrow morning at 7 on ESPN Tucson. From the Casino Del Sol studio, the soul of Tucson, this is ESPN Tucson. 1490 KFFN AM Tucson, KMXC HD4 Tucson.